You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Muy buenos días a todas y todos. Good morning, everyone. My name is Steve Hagee, and I'm the deputy um, director for um, Latin America for the Peace Institute, U.S. Peace Institute. For those of you in the auditorium, the English channel is channel one. And channel two for Spanish. And the name of the three organizations that are uh, um, inviting us to have this dialogue with the vice presidential candidates, with uh, Carlucci and and the Institute of Peace of the United States. I have the great honor to be here with these organizations. First of all, the Woodrow Wilson Center and its Latin American uh, program, and Jason Marzo from the Latin American Center, and Adrian Arch of the Atlantic Council. And the name of those three organizations is a pleasure to welcome you to the space this morning. We are very very glad to have this opportunity to have dialogue, to ask questions, uh, to ask for any clarifications, and to find out more about the plan of government and the missions of two of the main um, campaigns of the, of the electoral progress, uh, process of Colombia that will begin on, uh, on the 29th of this month, in the first round, it could be the first round and the second round could be in June. It's a great honor and it, we're very glad to have Francia Marquez, who is the vice presidential candidate. The vice presidential candidate of the presidential candidate, Gustavo Pedro, of the Coalición Pacto Histórico. And on the other hand, we are very glad to have with us Luis Alberto Murillo, the vice presidential candidate of Sergio Fajardo of the Coalición Centro Esperanza. Unfortunately, we have not been able to confirm and obtain the participation of the other two uh, electoral campaigns that were invited on one side. Uh, Liga de Gobernantes contra la Corrupción, candidate Rodolfo Hernandez. Unfortunately, Marilyn Castillo was not able to travel to be here with us in person. And on the other hand, we have the Equipo por Colombia, candidate Federico Gutierrez and the vice presidential candidate Rodrigo Lara. They were not able to be with us either, but in the name of those three organizations, we would like to reiterate that it has been a very impartial offered and an offered for um, dialogue exchange here in Washington for the four main presidential campaigns of this electoral period. We have the possibility, perhaps, that those three uh, campaigns will visit us and they will always be welcome in this space. For those of us who don't know, the U.S. Institute of Peace is a public agency, a state agency, but it's autonomous of the executive 
branch of the United States, and it was started by a bipartisan uh, act of the Congress with an international mandate with the uh, mitigation of violent conflict resolution. It's a pleasure to welcome you. The, we are hoping to have more uh, these more of these meetings of this, these interactions in person where uh, where we have been doing it for uh, virtually for a couple of years so for those of you who are following us live and those of you who are here in the auditorium welcome uh, in terms of methodology this morning what we're going to have is first of all some brief very brief comments from each of the vice presidential candidates starting with Francia and then each one of us Jason Cindy and I will have the opportunity to ask them two pointed questions and later on on the second phase of this dialogue we will open up the space. So first, uh, per, for those of you who are here, um, can ask questions through the internet webpage of the U.S. Institute of Peace. Um, can ask questions and all the other networks as well, so they can ask both candidates the questions they desire to ask. The for the representatives of the media. We are asking you to please save your questions for later on uh, where we would have a, an exclusive opportunity for the media to ask questions of the candidates. So I'm asking that after the, the dialogue for you to go to the first row to ask your questions, to ask those exclusive questions. So, Without, without more ado, without any more introductions of Francia and Luis Liberto, who are very well known in the political arena, I want to give the floor to uh, Francia for some opening remarks. And then we will have that town hall interaction of the question and also um, a QA session. Francia and Luis Liberto have visited the Institute of Peace in the past, so it's a great honor to have you here again, and in spite of your very tight agenda of, the, of your electoral campaigns, and so welcome again. On behalf of the U.S. Institute of Peace, Francia, thank you so much. You have the floor. Good morning, an ancestral greeting to all the people who are here in person, and those of you who are listening to us through the social networks we are here in this uh, political round um, uh, representing Gustavo Petro as a presidential candidate f f my presence represents those uh, spaces that have been silenced and forgotten as an Afro-descendant woman my, my presence is very important because we are betting for an agenda of structural transformation of the electoral political system that has been excluding and, and violent in our country to delve into democracy with many different um, 
focuses to we are trying to achieve complete peace focusing on social justice which includes guaranteeing the fundamental rights of all Colombian citizens the focus on transforming those structures of exclusion of racism patriarchy that have not allowed Colombian citizens to live in a dignified life. I am um, supporting Gustavo Petro as a black woman, impoverished, I'm a mother, head of household. For me, that is a challenge uh, in a country that has used violence, political violence, on a systematic and structural fashion to destroy and deny the rights of the majority of the society of Colombia. We have had 213 years of a state that has uh, turned onto itself from the elite that has governed us. And it has excluded, but not only excluded, but it has uh, maintained uh, policies of violence against social leaders, against ethnic peoples, and against the rights of women, of the youth, against those who are nobodies. As we say, uh, paraphrasing Eduardo Galeano, our bet is for those of us who are nobodies can have a voice, a voice that includes that the rule of law, the constitution, with its promises and the rights that are cultural and social and, and the rights of recognition of our cultural diversity of the nation, the, the right to peace, for all those rights to be cemented. And we are hoping that on May 29th, that we, on that first round, that we will win the presidency with Gustavo Petro. This also implies to have uh, relationships with all nations so in Colombia, we can be a, a life power in favor of peace, in favor of social justice, and in favor of human dignity. We are resisting power until dignity is a given. We are supporting all Colombians in our country and all Colombians that because of armed conflict, because of the lack of opportunities in our countries have had to leave, escaping to places like this country in the United States, where we have over 200,000 Colombians who do not have any, uh, the rights guaranteed, or who have uh, no migrant status, and uh, which takes away from their, from their dignity. We believe that TPS for Colombians as migrants in the United States should be uh, the right step forward to express justice for all those of us Colombians who are in, in foreign lands and, of course, here in the United States. Thank you. Gilberto, go ahead. Thank you so much for the invitation and the 
work that the Institute of Peace does every day. And thank you to Cynthia for his work and the Center from Atlantic Council too. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with Francia Marquez. I've seen her almost every other day in different debates and different conversations. So thank you so much for being here with us today in this conversation. And thank you to all of you that are watching us virtually. Since the proposal of the President Fajardo inviting me to work with him as a vice president candidate, we are trying to propose to have an ideology of hope because the country is not hopeful because we have serious problems that have gathered through the years. The first one that in our country we assassinate each other for financial interests and we see that in our government that has implemented some policies that have generated this deep crisis. First of all, the security crisis. We all know that we went back to the killing of youth and financially, despite the pandemic, despite the pandemic since 2019, there was a social explosion and that was not seen before because of the lack of opportunities for everyone, but especially to the population that have been and uh, have suffered from inclusion because of the indigenous communities and the Afro community, all these communities that haven't had opportunities. And we have 3 million of youth people that do not work or study and do not want to be part of criminal organizations. And they do not suffer only financially, but also environmentally. So our country is in a deep crisis and we require change. And we're proposing a change, a responsible change that is based on strengthening the education and technology as a new path to move society, a path of freedom. And we need to keep fighting against corruption. We need transparency and also the distribution of opportunities because in Colombia is concentrated in a few, in a few groups of the population. And this change also requires a role of the international communities to support Colombia to move forward. And that's how the alliance with the U.S. has to go beyond the political ideology and also contribute the different interests of Colombia. But with responsibility, we need to put foreign affairs policies in a different way so we can move forward to have an agreement that is good for the interests of the Colombian people overseas and that we can focus also on achieving that, achieving that the country can be part of Latin America and that hemisphere and has also a way to build peace and better grants for our family. And we're working and proposing this so we can achieve 
this and we can win on May 29th. And we hope, like we said before, that the vote, that this surprising vote is going to allow us to go on a second round and we can propose changes, responsible changes for all. And we have said that with the arrival of Fajardo and Murillo to the government, the government of hope, the country will change. Ms. Gilberto, thank you so much. And I want to give the word to Cindy Anderson from the Center and former director of the Latin American program and now is starting a new stage, just counseling and being part of the program, but in a different way. And she's going to ask the first question to both candidates for the vice presidency. Cindy, thank you and welcome. Thank you so much to Distis and Jason for this invitation for your kind words and to the candidates that have taken the time to come to Washington, D.C. and present their proposal. So thank you so much. And thank you to all the teams from different institutions that are here. Miriam, Beatriz, I have worked really hard and Keith that have been working behind the scenes to be able to create this event. And I would like to highlight something that was said at the beginning. We invited the four main candidates for the vice presidency, and we only achieved the participation of these two candidates whose campaigns are in a way historically, because they have people that are Afro-descendants as candidates for the vice presidency. So I would like to start with a central issue for Colombia and the U.S. and has to do with, with uh, safety and security. So Francia has talked about killings in the field of leaders and people that have been excluded, peasants. And we have seen in the past days for uh, protest of the armed forces, the clan of the Gulf that has dominated a great part of the country. And we know about the different conflicts between the illicit groups that are involved in all type of crimes, narco-trafficking, trafficking of gold, human trafficking, etc. So what is your proposal? to reestablish security and legitimation of the state in those places that suffer from violence. Legi legitimation not only for the for public safety, but in general. So this is a great question, but what is a proposal that you have to respond to these waves of violence that unfortunately still exist in the country and how is that you would work with different institutions from the government to achieve this objective. Cindy, thank you so much. I would like to 
be able to alternate the answers. So I would like to ask Luis Gilberto to start with the answer and we will be switching with each question. Well, the security indicators show clearly that the country is going the wrong in the wrong path. And you have seen how the country has lowered the rates of homicides and that's an indicator. And we had gone away from killings in different areas of the country and we went back to the same situation. Why? And this is very easy to figure out. We made the decision, well, the government, the current government made the decision not to implement the peace accord in a firm way with responsibility and with resources. With a new concept of implementing the peace accord that was not included in this peace accord, which was called peace legally peace. But to be able to do this, there's a correlation of security and peace in different territories. And the first step to be able to reestablish peace in those territories has to do with implementing completely in a firm way the peace accord, this historically peace accord that was signed with the FARC in 2016 that we signed and I was part of that team that was in that initial process of implementing this peace accord. And that's the first step. The second step has to do with focusing on the regions and territories. The government abandoned these regions and they did it and we saw in 2021 in regions like in the Pacific or cities of Cali were abandoned to their own luck. And we almost saw a coup d'etat in different regions and that has complicated things, security issues. And we are going to try and criminalized and process all these criminals. And we have to restructure public safety in our country. And we require, we need to create a ministry of defense for the citizens so they can see the presence of public safety in different territories and the rural areas. Second of all, so we can combat all these criminal organizations in the urban areas because that has increased. We see killings all the time and in that way the police, the police force will be part of this Ministry of Defense so that they can interact and work with citizens and we are going to reestablish different public safety organizations so they can really protect citizens. And this current government made the decision that instead of protecting the civilians, they can go back to confrontation and abandon this path of peace. And we're going to try to protect civilians within the framework of the tools that we have in that peace accord that was signed because it has not been implemented. It was left aside. And number one, the presence has to be part of this reform and reestablishing 
gender and empowerment of women that was set aside. These elements that were part of that peace accord. So we are going to implement in a firm way all of this. And another thing is that, and you mentioned that before, Cynthia, that we have to have the presence of criminal international organizations, not only narco trafficking, but also the trafficking of natural resources that like gold and wood. <clears throat> so we have this human trafficking, international organizations, and they're trying to commercialize different wild species. So this Criminal organizations have diversified their portfolios, but they're all the same, and we need the cooperation of the U.S. and the international community, but not just the cooperation with the U.S., because it hasn't had to do only with the peace accord, but the relationships with Colombia and the U.S was like an ideology and we abandoned the real priorities of the people so that's a reality and second of all i would like to talk about the fact to generate opportunities in that region because they do not have any opportunities we're talking about two different colombias and chocon the republic performed a study and so that we, in order to be at the same level of Bogota, we need to work for half a century. So we were talking about the fact that in the next development plan, in this government of hope, we're going to assign at least 10% of that national plan of development and the investments to communities, Afro-descendants, that come, that keep dragging all the consequences of the structural racism that has been historically added to poverty and violence. And we're going to guarantee that these communities can really go from 5 million of hectares that have to what they really, what they really need. And we're also going to guarantee that not only these communities, but all the communities in that region are part of the national government and they have their own representation. So it looks more like the citizens of Colombia and provide voice to all these communities. So we need to do this to provide security to all territories. And we're proposing that in this way. So we need to restructure security in Colombia so we can see change and we can protect civilians because right now we cannot see that. Thank you so much, Luis Gilberto. Thank you so much. Francia? Well, first of all, what I want to say is that for years the focus on security in Colombia has been from the military point of view or the police. And when we talk about lack of safety, we just talk about militaries of the military and the presence of military in these regions, and that generates violence. So the experience that we've had is that the more military presence that we see, the more violence is created because of corruption, because of the way the illegal uh, criminal organizations and the way they 
interact. In Buenaventura, the presence of the army is there, but there's a territory where there's no presence of the army. So there are people like in Cauca, where you can see a lot of army presence, but they killed social leaders all the time. Territories like Kido, where you can see the army presence, but there are killings, killings of youth every day. So that's why the question that we always ask is why, if there's a presence of the army, these crimes of violence keep happening all the time in these territories. So I think that the approach now has to do with security and it goes beyond the military. We have to understand the things that this generates and how it generates violence. And we know that it's not going to stop if we don't stop hunger. So violence is not going to stop if they're not dignity for the Colombian citizens. And that has to do with strengthening in a productive way and recover the productivity of the nation. Talking about agriculture and talking about the private sector, we need to generate jobs. There are a lot of young people that are basically recruited by armed forces because they don't have access to education and they don't have access to a good job in Colombia. And that's part of what we should talk about before the military presence. We need to respond with the same tactics. And we have seen this over and over, and it hasn't stopped the situation. Of course, there's no doubt that there's the need to have agreements with the armed force groups because this keeps generating violence and danger to everyone in Colombia because they keep putting their lives at risk. And that has to do with implementing the peace accord that was signed between FARC and the government. And this has to do with establishing this conversation and dialogue with ELN with the ELN group and to talk with the paramilitary groups because right now they see protests all around the country. And this has to do with talking about drugs in Colombia and the problem that we have with drugs in Colombia and the necessity to move forward to legalize drugs as a path of change to take away that incentive of violence and narco-trafficking as an engine that moves violence in Colombia. And to generate and strengthening productivity, and especially in the agriculture in Colombia, and this is a challenge. It has to do with infrastructure and knowing the rights of the agricultures in Colombia, and we have to talk about land ownership in Colombia. And I know that some people don't like to hear about that. And they say that when they hear that we need to talk about the lands in Colombia that we're going to expropriate owners of their own lands. And in Colombia, we don't even have a census regarding 
which is a land that the government owns. They have lots of uh, land that is empty, and they don't want to share that information. If, if we don't know how many million of hectares the government has and they're empty, then the people that are in power, they just expropriate and sell these pieces of land illegally so they can be landowners that use the government for their own good and not for the well-being of the citizens of Colombia. And that's a challenge. And the first point of this peace accord regarding land ownership has to do with helping to distribute land so that different families has access to land, because it doesn't matter if you have a piece of land if you don't have the support of the government. Here in the US, agriculture is granted. The government supports agriculture, but that doesn't happen in Colombia. They support some sectors, but the farmers, farmers, indigenous people, Afro-descendant people do not have the support grants so that they can produce in the lands. And they're not third parties. So they say, please do not cultivate coke. But what are they going to do? They don't have a way to cultivate and grow banana and cacao. So we need to strengthen productivity in the land and to support financially so they can commercialize their products in Colombia. And I think that's going to contribute greatly to lowering violence, because the more people we see that do not have good conditions, then violence is going to keep increasing. And people just use whatever they can find. And vulnerable people end up in this dynamic of violence as a way to survive in a way in Colombia. So we need to talk about the structures and what has to do with security. It's not security is not just a topic of a vision as to have presence of the army and the police. Thank you. Thank you so much, Francia and Luis Alberto. I would like to open the floor for Jason Marzak, the Senior Director, Adrian Arsh, Latin America Center at Latin Council. It is a pleasure to have you here in this initiative. Thank you, Steve. Thank you to the Institute of Peace and the Woodrow Wilson Center and Cynthia for this, for this clarification. I think that with these atmospheric issues, um, regional issues um, that are brought out in these spaces. And I would like to welcome again Francia Marquesem, Parque Historico, and also Luis Roberto Murillo from the Centro Esperanza, and Rodrigo Lara from the Equipo por Colombia, and Marlene Castro, Gobierno de Gobernantes de Corrupción. I hope that we can have you here in the future on, on a different occasion. Francia and Luis Gilberto. I will begin with you. Since Luis Gilberto started with Cynthia's question. Colombia is one of the closest allies of the United States in Latin America and the Caribbean. And through 
decades, our countries have worked together to face bilateral, regional, and global challenges. This past December, a, a U.S. working group, U.S. Columbia working group, Atlantico, was called blunt, and with many members here in Washington, they published a, a uh, uh, they the, did the a publication uh, which was a plan of uh, post-COVID, uh, recovering program post-COVID, and they had four pillars. One, massive vaccinations to kickstart the economy, two, the creation of employment as a road to inclusive growth, number three, uh, a more solid pact or agreement to establish stability and number four to improve the rule of law to implement the peace agreements good governance and the protection of rights within these pillars are reflected the legislation of Senator Menendez, Senator Menendez regarding Colombia, which were presented in March. This legislation also includes matters of security, the environment, humanitarian issues, and also the designation of Colombia as an ally country outside of NATO. Do you agree with these countries of this bilateral relationship with France and which pillars would your government establish if you become elected? I will begin with the pillars. What are the pillars that we need? Well, we need to strengthen the relationships with the relationship with the United States. For years, the relationship with the United States has been based on the terms of war against drugs. And I believe that this has been a paled policy because the production of the coca leaf in Colombia is intact, and so is drug trafficking. Drug trafficking, as we say colloquially, has helped Colombia to leave the, the, the dead people in the territories and to bolster financial resources in the banks. And the challenge is, number one, to recognize that this policy against drugs in Colombia has, has failed. And this means to establish, to, to have another focus on how to uh, counter drug trafficking in Colombia. And like we said, we need to focus on legalization, which will imply the change of the use of the coca and marijuana leaves in terms of uh, the, the, the production in the pharmaceutical arena, perhaps in the textile and food industries, uh, derived from, from the marijuana, leaves, and, and coca, and, and in terms of social justice. Be understanding that the profiling of the policy against drugs in the United States, it had a racial focus. It is the blacks and, and Afro-Americans who are put in jail because they uh, use drugs. And in Colombia, it's usually the indigenous and the black populations who are 
really uh, who experience that violence because of their use of drugs. So having a policy on that road to legalization is a way to tend to the issue of the usage as a uh, as a public health problem, not as a criminal problem. Because it is the poor people, <laughs> racially profiled, who are really the ones who suffer and who are persecuted because of this problem. And I think that there's a potential to strengthen that alliance with the government of the United States, and that will contribute to diminish violence, as we had said. Number two, we know that the United States has been fighting uh, against um, climate change. We want to also take that bet because we understand that our country is uh, number two in the world, the, uh, being the most biodiverse. Protecting the biodiversity in our country will be fundamental for human life, not only of us Colombians, but of humanity. And that is where we will put our focus. And as our program says, we will transition from an ex extractionist economy to a sustainable uh, economy. I think we can strengthen that economy using science, technology, and research. And we can have a clean economy, an economy for life that will strengthen uh, productivity in Colombia, that will create jobs, that will create industries, and on the issue of peace, that we know that the United States took a bet on with the Plan Colombia. We received their support, but it, but it's a challenge and a need to achieve this complete peace, that we need the United States to be our ally. The, as you so, uh, the racial justice and gender justice is a challenge in Colombia. 52% of the population is women, and feminicide has not stopped in Colombia. Uh, violations to the rights of women don't stop because we're a chauvinistic country, patriar patriarchal and racist country that needs a deep transformation so the humanity of all Colombians becomes a reality. And I think that the United States can be uh, fun fundamental. We understand that the movements of black people have uh, cemented their organizations to change. We want to strengthen, again, relationships to coordinate it to coordinate with you and to respect the autonomy of uh, the values of each nation, of each country, and so so we can have that global peace around the world. Thank you, Francia Luis Gilberto. Yes, we are actually celebrating 200 years of a relationship between the United States and Colombia. And obviously, Colombia must continue being a very strategic and special ally to the United States. And it needs to be done within a framework of respect 
the sovereignty of the countries, but we have to highlight some issues that, that were not the best. You mentioned the failed fight against drugs. It's true, that is a very important issue. It is not a priority, though. We will propose a new context of the relationship that we have with the United States based on that mutual respect and that co-responsibility, but approaching the issue at a multilateral uh, level, uh, because there are many issues, and in that sense, what we will propose to the government of the United States is to diversify the portfolio of the relationship that we have with the country. First of all, we are going to strengthen everything and anything that has to do uh, with uh, science, technology, and innovation, especially in the areas of education. At the same time, we will propose to delve into, to deepen that uh, trade relationship. Uh, Colombia has a very important platform to connect to the world. Within that political context, especially with those supply chains, Colombia can play a very important role to strengthen in its economy, to grow, and to provide greater opportunities for the Colombian population. That will be fundamental, but it will require the revision of the free trade commerce. We have to revise it or review it from the um, environmental perspective, climate change, empowering women, and the perspective of the rights of the ethnic communities that is enshrined within our, within our constitution, and the perspective of new um, chains of value, especially to, to, to those people who work the fields. We will have also a different um, foreign policy focusing on the United States, focusing on um, the environment, solutions of uh, climate change, where uh, climate solutions where Colombia can play an important role. Something that we have lacked in the relationship with the United States would be uh, that the new groups that are acquiring the inclusion of Colombia, the Afro-Colombian people, indigenous community, Palenqueros, and we will establish a relationship that will give greater relevance and centrality to social uh, the civil society represented in those groups. And finally, we believe that we have to have a stronger, consistent support from the government of the United States in that relationship with Colombia, having to do with the implementation of the peace agreement that was signed with the FARC. That is the first step, the first step on that long road towards complete peace in the country. And the relationship, the actions, and the proposals of the United States in the face of 
of those agreements they have been incoherent and erratic. An example, the inconsistency of certain sectors in the United States to have aerial spraying with glyphosate and places like Amazon, the Amazon or El Chocó. So it's incoherent when we're talking about uh, empowering communities and climate change and the fight against drug trafficking. Well, yeah, we do talk about that. What we're proposing that failed spraying with glyphosate. We have not seen a, a quite decision, a firm decision on the government, the part of the government of the United States, with the eradication of illicit crops by hand. Um, they're less than one percent, and the regrowing is more than 10%. And so we think that we have to um, shift our focus on those points of the joint joint work with the United States. But we insist that we have to diversify that relationship. There are other issues that we have to delve into. And we have to deepen that relationship with the United States in the uh, frame of respect, co-responsibility, and where Colombia can have a status of a special and country and a strategic ally to the United States and to de-ideologize -ideolo that relationship. We have to have a multi-party uh, relationship with the United States. Thank you so much. I would like to talk about the same point and with Luis, Luis Gilberto, you were mentioning these principles more than, of course, there are lots of agreement and disagreement and this type of rich dynamic of exchange between two close relationships from Colombia and the U.S., but more and beyond these policies. Which would be the values, and Francia, you mentioned the word values, which would be the values and principles that could guide this bilateral relationship that can go beyond the everyday issues in conjunction that could keep enriching this relationship between these two countries? Francia, please. I think that we know about the lobbying that the right wing has been doing here in the U.S., first of all, to really not educate what we've been doing, some of us, in a, in a more specific way, Gustavo Petro's proposal in Marcus and this pact historico and the story about the Castro Chavismo and to make the U.S. believe that if we get to presidency, Gustavo Pedro Marquez is a threat to the U.S. and it's a threat for Colombia. I believe that the real threat is in our division because we have been submitted to democracy that have just ended in dead casualties and armed force conflicts. It's 
it's not Gustavo Petro or Francia Marquez that were opposed to peace in Colombia. And it wasn't our movement that have been opposing peace in Colombia who decided to destroy peace in Colombia as a current government. So it doesn't matter if they come and talk in a really nice way in the U.S. and talk about his great policy. The reality is that in Colombia we have dead casualties every day and we bury social leaders every day and that's the reality the killing of young people every day and the reality is the killing of women in Colombia every day and we are concerned about that because adding to this narrative we have seen the statement of the ambassador of the U.S. and President Biden saying that they had some information regarding financing and intervention of the Russian and Venezuelan government in elections in Colombia. Impacto Historico was not mentioned. And even though it wasn't mentioned and Gustavo Petro was not mentioned, it's obvious that they were referring to our candidates and to our proposal. And I think that breaks with the history of the relationship of the U.S. that doesn't intervene in politics and has respected the democracy of this election process. But we have heard this from the ambassador of the U.S. regarding elections, and I think that the values that could be strengthened in this relationship should be, first of all, respect, the value of respect, and recognizing and talking despite differences. For years in our country, we have just exterminated each other. If you do not agree with someone else, you kill that person. The one that raises his or her voice regarding differences suffers from stigma and is threatened and it's killed. And that cannot continue. That cannot be the ideology of the government. We think that democracy has to do with talking about differences. And I think that's the value that we have to rescue and strengthen in our relationship with the government of the U.S. And I think respect is very important and to be neutral regarding even if we don't like that vision, we need to talk about diversity and deal with diversity. Because if tomorrow Gustavo Petro and Francia Marquez are or are in power and we are president and vice president, then that would break the relationship with the U.S. But I don't think that's good. I think that we should strengthen the relationship and build and build it from there because that would be the decision of the of the Colombian people and that would be um democratic decision. We're concerned about security right now in Colombia and Gustavo Pedro and myself we have been limited and we haven't been able to exercise democracy in our campaign because at several points we've had to stop 
stop our campaign and we haven't been able to go to some territories and now with the paramilitary groups and their protests almost all of us all the candidates that are aspiring right now and campaigning we've had to stop and that's our that's our concern a concern regarding the silence of the u.s in front of the paramilitary groups and the message that was sent from General Zapatero. It was a message that violates the political constitution because the military force cannot really participate in politics in Colombia. And there was a silence, absolute silence. So I think that there's silence for some things, but other times some messages are being sent. And I don't think that that's an impartial attitude and I think that that sends a very negative message for democracy in Colombia. Thank you so much, Francia. Luis Gilberto, please. Yes, regarding values that should guide the relationship. The first one has to be respect and overall respect to the sovereignty of the countries. In the Colombian case, and also especially for all the countries in Latin America and our hemisphere, and this is very important. And with Sergio Fajardo, and our political party, we're going to demand from the U.S. the respect of our sovereignty and the other countries in Latin America, but also to have a responsibility because there are tops of social justice issues that we need to approach in our relationship with the U.S. if it's true that we have a special status with the U.S. And justice regarding the impacts of the war against drugs that have affected most of all communities from where Francia comes from and where I come from, that other Colombia. And that's a social justice issue that has to be approached, and it hasn't. There's some social justice issues regarding the environment that have not been approached. And we need to look at this and talk about it with the U.S. because we have had losses and damages according to the Paris Accord and other treaties. And we need to review some issues and talk about our responsibilities. And another point that I would touch would be respect and support to democracy. And it concerns me what Francia said concerns me because we need to respect the decision, the autonomous decision and sovereign decision from Colombia. And the U.S. needs to send clear messages regarding respect and support to the Colombian democracy because the journey that we've had to travel 
to have democracy in Colombia is a very long one. And the fact that our seven candidates for the presidency and out of those four are Afro-descendant and um, country of contrasts and everything that has suffered Colombia shows this contrast. And now the U.S. should support democracy because of this. And it's not acceptable that when you have under the Constitution the army that is participating in politics, the government of the U.S., the government that we help to select because I was part of uh, this, keeps si keep silence. Here in the U.S., when an army officer walks with a president, then they have to apologize to the citizens. And if the U.S. does that, we should see the same in Colombia. And one of the principles and treaties and fundamental values between the relationship with Colombia and U.S. is about democracy, democracy in the U.S. and democracy in Colombia and in the hemisphere and the whole world. And we need to send those clear messages of support. And with what Francia just mentioned regarding the uh, how hard we've had it in our campaigns and keep going because there is lack of control of different regions in the country. So even we would like to see some um, support from the U.S. and we haven't requested it, but if we did, I don't remember that the U.S. has met with the candidates to support democracy. And that's an example that you're providing because you're, you invited all the campaigns and we haven't seen that gesture over there. And we see that we need it because that's something symbolical, but we need to see these concrete facts in Colombia. Right now, these elections in Colombia are consequential, and they have lots of implications. And we need to see the U.S. saying that we're really partners, and we don't just want to see the ideology of Colombia and the U.S. and the respect of democracy in Colombia with symbolical actions and practical examples. And this is very important. And as I repeat, respect to the sovereignty of Colombia and Latin American countries, and of course, with responsibility and supporting democracy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to allow Cindy and Jason to ask a second question, and then we're going to give the opportunity to the audience. Thank you so much. I think we should be more brief in our answers, so we can allow the audience to ask questions. And it has been amazing. I'm not saying that you need to remain quiet, but talking about Esta polarización. about this polarization in Colombia. if you get to power, what would you do, your campaign, your government, to link those bridges with the whole society in Colombia, with those communities or sectors that are opposed and that do not agree with you? What efforts are you going to make 
to be able to recover this feeling of togetherness despite the differences that exist today. I don't know who wants to start. We go back to Luis Gilberto and then to Francia, okay? I'm sorry. I, I was. I said we were going to take turns, and then I didn't even respect the, the methodology. But okay, the first thing is that the Colombian electorate uh, <laughs> elects Centro Esperanza, you know. But we are making uh, a, a call for a unity. We believe that the country has to stop being polarized and to reach agreements as a nation. And those agreements as a nation include de-escalating de aggressive language, de-escalating attacks. There's an effort on the part of the Colombian society so we can have agreements of no aggression, no, no political aggression in the language. Sergio Fajardo uh, signed um, an agreement, actually, who wasn't there, but I think, I think that those are strides to de-escalate that polarization. I have been suggesting this uh, during our campaign, and what is clear to me is that it's no good to disqualify each other. There's a discussion of ideas to convince the electorate. I don't question Sergio Fajardo and I, from our campaign, we do not question the, the commitment of public service that he has had, that Gustavo Petro has had historically, and the one that Federico Gutierrez has, has had. And those, uh, I believe we have differences in, in political philosophy, ideas, uh, proposals of country. So we are proposing that we dialogue, that we keep in touch, that we have a personal relationship that allows, oh, that gives room for dialogue. That's what we have been doing. We are in constant dialogue with the different candidates. And in the case of the vice presidential candidates, even more so. That has been uh, a reason for criticism, actually, in Colombia. Now, this unity, this deep unity, implies uh, that we will have change in, uh, in all sectors, responsible change. And what we have said is those who agree with that are, are welcome. And what we're going to do, starting August 7, once we and it's, once we start being in power, if we are elected, obviously, we will call all, all sectors. We will invite all sectors to start a program to establish a possible program for the country because the challenges that we face, some of our some of them are, are global, some of them are national. First of all, to be able to overcome conflict and for Colombia to stop being a victim producer. We have to stop murdering one another due to any type of difference, a political difference, where we can respect life and fundamental rights of people. Another challenge 
is the challenge of fighting um, criminal networks, environmental challenges, and we want to establish a, a lifestyle of peace and tranquility. Now, but there is a starting point that I would like to highlight, amongst other things, where uh, I think we all agree, really, especially having to do with um, environmental challenges and having those different suggestions or proposals of environmental changes or plans. I think that we disagree the least on those, and that will be a starting point for us to build a nation. We are completely sure, absolutely sure, from Centro um, Esperanza, uh, led by Gustavo Petro, that we have to have that minimum agreement. Thank you. Francia, please. I didn't understand the, that, that rhetoric of polarization or the concept of polarization. For me, it's, it's an invention made up by people in the establishment, people who have always been part of the establishment to, for them to not recognize that their actions, it is precisely their actions that have uh, put people in, in disarray and disagreement. This started after the signing of the peace accord. That's where this concept of polarization started being mentioned in Colombia. But for me, it's very simple. People were submitted before. They were silenced. Okay. And the Colombian people then came out and gave an opinion. And I believe, well, in, in my opinion, the Colombian people, for Col the Colombians to be able to express themselves and their diversity, it's who we are, and then to, to be uh, called uh, polarized or polarizing is a stigma. This issue of polarization is an excuse to not engage in the real conversations that have to that we have to have like the condition the social conditions that we have in the country i don't think that we should be afraid of debate i don't think that we should be afraid of bringing up different points of view we have to coordinate and the fact that there is a constitutional mandate and that constitutional mandate is um, a state of rights that where we have promises that have not been fulfilled and Colombian the Colombian people can stand there anymore we want those dreams and those aspirations that we have as Colombians to be fulfilled it's not a matter of left or right it's a matter of humanity it's a matter of human dignity it's a matter of peace okay if we win the race, the presidential vice presidential race, we have to sit down, sit at the table with all Colombians in it. And a way to to reach common points is to put dialogue in the middle, the dialogue with everybody, the dialogue with those who are different, and even dialogue with those who have made our lives impossible. We have to dialogue with everybody. We have to make inroads and find common points that allow us to have a peaceful and, and, and viable society, a just society, okay, an equal and egalitarian society. 
So if we have to have debates, then let's have debates without fear, because fear has been silenced. Fear has silenced us in Colombia, and it has not allowed us to express ourselves. It has not allowed us to participate. Fear has not allowed us to define our road or our course as a society. We still depend on many other nations that define what we ought to do, you know, along the lines of the respecting our sovereignty as a nation. That hasn't happened. We have always been told what we have to do as Colombians. It is the outside that we're being told what is our nation project. I think we have to build and establish our own project as a nation. Okay? It has to come from us. Of course, with all the allied countries, but we have reached a point where Colombia has to be autonomous, uh, a country that can define itself and that can be a, a viable nation. I don't think that we can be called polarized. We have to recognize dialogue and different voices. Because in Colombian, we that's what we are. We are a pluri-ethnical and diverse country, and we have to build with all that diversity. So. Thank you, Francia. Jason, one last question, and then we're going to open the floor. My colleagues in the back, if we, if you could place yourself for a first round of questions. Jason, please. Uh, I would like to ask you, first of all, about uh, trade and investment between uh, Colombia and the United States. May 15th, this Sunday, uh, we will celebrate 10 years since we have the agreement, the trade agreement between Colombia and the United States. This um, incentivized a greater exchange and greater trade between uh, two countries. It, the, the United States is the greatest trade partner and the greatest investor in the country at the same time. Now, we have talked about this a little bit in this conversation, but you're in a, are you in a very specific position to um, receive investments? And how about those companies that are move, stop investing in Asia to establish um, new trade relationships with Colombia aside from COVID? Now, there's a study that identified over 600 businesses in different sectors and where Colombia could provide competitive advantages, especially um, pharmaceuticals, petrochemicals, and other other issues. We have talked a little bit about this, the, this, this trade agreement, but I would like to hear your reflections. And I'm going to start with you, Francia. How do you see the future of that uh, commercial relationship or trade relationship between Colombia and the United States? And what 
um, parts of this relationship could your government give priority to, especially regarding attracting or the attraction of more investment and trade of the United States in Colombia? If we could give a short answer, two, three minutes, please, because we have a lot of questions here in the audience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very specific then. We do recognize the opportunity that has that the free trade agreement has brought between Colum to Colombia. You know that, that agreement between Colombia and the United States. It focuses on those all those trade uh, roads. Uh, for example, technology. Okay, but there are different sectors where this has not been as favorable, and I think that we need to do a bilateral revision of the agreement and an evaluation of the impact in these past 10 years of the signing of the agreement between Colombia and the United States. For example, an unfavorable, unfavorable impact has been the, the trade of of the products of that family shopping basket basically the basic products of many people are going to bed having eaten only once a day only once a day there are some who are not eating and what's worse we have children boys and girls who are dying of malnutrition in a country that is the second most biodiverse country of the planet uh, food security is very compromised in our country. Why? Because we are not tending to the production on the fields of Colombia. Many of those basic goods of that shopping family basket are imported. And we have a country where a minimum wage is not enough to meet basic needs. I think that we need to review that in um, terms of productivity that's the part of the challenge that we're facing in colombia in terms of recovering sovereignty and um, autonomy food sovereignty and autonomy uh, that's what's happening in colombia for example one product corn we are importing most of the corn consumed in, in colombia imported from the United States. Corn is fundamental in the production of the production of meat. And since we're importing this corn that is so expensive, and we have meat and chicken that are produced in Colombia that raises the cost of those goods in the family shopping basket. I think that we need to review how this food sovereignty has been affected, which is fundamental for Colombians. Okay, thank you, Francia. Luis Gilberto. Yes, I think that we ha there are sectors where we have to deepen the relationship with the United States. The United States has to be a platform for that global connection from Colombia to very important markets. And there's a great opportunity in the new um, establishment of chain supplies in Colombia can produce a lot, but we need a new model, a new framework. The first thing that 
would we would have to do that it would benefit women and, and ethnic communities and for them to have social mobility so they can benefit from that trade and so it's not in the hands of a few in Colombia. Number two is that there are sectors that we have to to bolster uh, collectivity, uh, infrastructure of logistics and transportation but also digital connectivity and we have to deepen the sea community all have to do with ports but other types of economy, sea economy there are other now the United States has great investment um, possibilities we have new markets green markets and blue markets and we have to attract that investment that will benefit directly different communities and we need that within that context the United States can guarantee that regions well that the financial geography of these regions can be changed so they can be um, so, so the deep, deep Colombia can be benefited we need to adjust these treatments so it's more fair because it's unfair in some areas some areas you know only but there there are some unjust areas some say that we don't we should not have to review it or revise it but we have to modernize it that's our semantics I mean we have to sit at the table and see what works and what doesn't so both countries are, are benefited Thank you so much to Francia, and we will be waiting for the answers. Thank you so much, Jason and Cindy, for your questions. And now we're going to provide the opportunity to the people in the audience that would like to ask questions. And we have two colleagues that are coordinating this. Unfortunately, Jason and Cindy have to leave, but we will continue. I would like to ask, as I always do, if you can be brief and very specific with your questions. Just provide your name and uh, specific questions. And I will start with Jimena, with my colleague Jimena on that side, and then we will be switching from one side to the other. And I have two colleagues that are helping us out with the questions. Jimena, please. Thank you so much, Jimena Sanchez from Mola. I would like to know what specific steps are you going to take for free consultation to combat racism, racial racism, and to support humanitarian agrees from Chachoco and the Andariño Arauca and Catatumbo agreements. Thank you so much, Jimena. We will take four questions, and I will try to I will try to summarize them. And if we want to start with this gentleman over here, good morning. I would like to know the strategies, specific strategies, regarding the investment of education in forgotten regions for decades by the government, like Arauca, Puerto Mayo, Chal, Guajira, etc. And where there are representation of several universities of like the Andes, and I don't know why they haven't really invested specifically in education in those forgotten regions. Thank you so much. I will switch again. Hello. Thank you, and good afternoon. First of all, 
Francia Marquez. I have a question. We know that there are several threats against your life and the life of Gustavo Pedro, and we are concerned about it. And I think we would all raise our hands to protect your life and Pedro's life. But no? Well, each person has different opinions. We're talking about life, but anyway, this is a very specific question for Francia. What is that? people that are in favor of life or pro-life, who should we send letters or demand things? Because it's obvious that there's a plan to kill you and Gustavo Pedro and Gilberto Murillo. I just want to say in regards to free trade, we were loving the free trade, but later on we saw that you were supporting free trade. How do you feel now after supporting free trade and they get catastrophe that he, this has caused in Colombia. Thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Najilet Castro. And I'm very pleased to have both of you. And I feel proud that an Afro-Colombian is sitting here today as a candidate in our support to Francia Marquez, to our candidate. And today I'm standing up and I want to talk about what's happening in the border, and I'm talking on behalf of thousands of Afro-Colombians that are requesting the support and the help, and I would like to know what is that we can do right now. We're demanding there's an urgent need for the community, and we have the consulate, but we, need, we, we know that we're lacking support from them. So this is an emergency that is happening right now. What can we do to support our brothers and sisters that are migrating and that are in the border? Thank you so much. We will provide the opportunity to both candidates to answer those four questions. And if you allow us, we're going to continue for 30 more minutes to answer these questions. Okay, we're going to expand the time because we were delayed a little bit. So we will continue until 11.35. So we have the first question regarding strengthening humanitarian efforts and investment in education in some regions and the threats that candidates have suffered and also the support of free trade, specifically to Luis Gilberto and also the topic of the border and the immigrant aliens that have been arriving at the US. So this question is who would like to start? Luis Gilberto. No, the question was for Francia. What do you mean it was for Francia? No, I'm here alone in the panel. No, I will start, no problem. So the previous consultation and humanitarian efforts. Well, in Centro Esperanza, we support, obviously, the human right of all communities regarding the previous consultation of indigenous and also black Afro-descendants. And there's an attack from different sectors. And we need to protect that fundamental right from all these communities. And in addition, we are sure that we will provide status and provide rights to all these communities like 
peasant communities and the people in the Cienegas because they are suffering from similar conditions. And if you remember in the treaty that we had in regards to free trade, we sat down with leaders from the Pacific region of Colombia and we were negotiating with ELN to move forward and in the midst of negotiations we were talking about human rights for these communities that were suffering and this was basically interrupted because the current government stopped dialogue with ELN and we need to retake conversations we need to retake the proposal of these communities with the support of the church, specifically with the church, that have been talking about the necessity of this human agreement and accord regarding education. I agree that we need to bring education to different areas in the other Colombia. And with MIT, we're talking about bringing them to Moncova, which is part of this other Colombia. And they're talking already with different communities about the about different environmental issues and we're trying to establish this alliance of this university with other universities in Colombia to provide education in different regions. And I think we need to keep growing that support. And in Centro Esperanza with Sergio Fajardo, we're talking about the fact that the three main pillars of our proposal and the government is to strengthening education, science, and technology. And in that sense, we are proposing to create five uh, institutions for science, technology, and innovation that will start educating these regions. And we're going to have a center that is going to concentrate in agriculture and in the industry of agriculture that is essential to be able to add value to these products and another center that is going to have a focus in products and tourism, ecological tourism and cultural tourism and sus sustainable um, tourism and another center that incorporates health to all these communities that have been taking care of themselves. And another one that is focused on technology so that Colombia could be also a leader in bioeconomical issues. And we're trying to help different regions with regional clusters. And of course, because we need investment, Colombia is one of the countries in Latin America that do not assign enough resources for science, technology, and innovation. And we would go from 0.3% to, to the investment in science and technology and innovation in the country. Luis Gilberto, thank you so much. Now, uh, later on, we would go back to the topic of the border and free trade. You had started talking about that to review the free trade, but we're going to go back to Francia regarding the topic of the threats, and then we would go back to other topics. Okay, I would like to start with other topics, with other subjects. Well, regarding the right of 
previous the previous consultation I have been defending this before I was a candidate I was a social leader and in my own community I fought so that we could guarantee this right in 2010 there was a law passed regarding providing titles for mining exploitation in my community. So I know very well what this means and this right to the previous consultation for different communities that really need the right that other human beings have. And I think that we have built some protocols for this previous consultation and we think that these protocols that were created by these communities are part of a national protocol and from different sectors that have been talking about different regulations of this previous consultation free and well-informed different entities within the government of the U.S. and the USID have supporting us, but we've seen from different sectors that have wanted to um, create different regulations just for their own personal interests. And we have been opposed to this, and we have opposed to this, we have been opposing this because that will, of course, provide rights to different populations that were not having those rights. So we need to keep providing these guarantees in which we have been defending for centuries. Regarding racism, what to do with racism? Well, racism is um, subtle, but we've seen natural racism with the presence of my myself, we've seen that racism has increased in Colombia because they cannot deal with the fact that a black woman could be the vice president of Colombia. And it's a challenge regarding social issues and education issues, but it's also a challenge of that structural racism that is the one that concerns me the most because in Colombia, women, Afro-descendant women, live five years less than the average of women in general. So their life expectancy is five years less than other women. And you can see that structural racism in our country and how it exists to so to achieve that life expectancy increases. That's a challenge that we have in the government and that has to do with resources that never arrive to this ethnic territories arrive and to be able to guarantee better a better life for these people. We're talking about repairing social injustices that have happened historically. And we've been talking about that. And now when we talk about Uribism, 
they say that we're going to take away their lands and their money. And it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with recognizing these structures of oppression and destruction and racism. And we need to revisit this because they say that they're a government that is a plural government. And this happens because other countries that have been allies to this racial politics have to do with this. And one of the things and one of the actions that we're going to work on, and I was talking about that yesterday, is the need to review that external debt from Colombia regarding those preparation actions and exchanging that for peace and exchanging that regarding social justice and the environment too because Colombia has a great external debt and part of the budget of Colombia goes to paying that external debt and that causes us not to have enough resources to invest in the areas that we have to invest. And I think that's an approach that we need to take now. And we will see if these countries are really committed. If these countries are really committed to racial justice, then they will be willing to negotiate and do that uh, exchange of transaction with the reparation that have to do with this indigenous communities, Afro-descendant communities, and peasant communities. And, and well, regarding to the human accord that has different approaches, and one is the action without harming, and the different government institutions have to do this because they do it in some territories, but we need to have minimal rules for different armed force groups. And I know that this conversation has happened in some communities, but it always go in the midst of the armed conflicts. And people try to survive in the midst of this armed conflict. And this conversation that has avoided children and youth to be recruited in the killing of social leaders. And this is very essential in a country that is living with that conflict that never ends. And regarding education, I think that it's essential and Gustavo Petro have talked about that to be uh, first world country has to do also with focusing on the production of education, access to education since elementary school, basic education to college education with quality free education and complete education. And this has to have different approaches and has to focus on ethnic approaches and racial education that can repair this and because this is a challenge for Colombia and the basic structure of education since elementary school and middle school is not 
as precarious and in different regions, we don't even have a school, we don't even have a teacher, or there's maybe one teacher teaching all the classes for elementary school and middle school, and we need to strengthen public education. So, and this is essential and more than strengthen. And I'm not saying that we cannot talk about private universities, but my question is not why the University of Andes doesn't go to these regions, but the Valle University or Tecnológica de Chocó cannot be in every single region as public universities. So I think that's a challenge that we have, and that's something that we're going to work on in regards to education. Very briefly, the question on the border. 15,000 Colombians arrived last month at the border of the United States. Being one of the you know nations with most immigrants here, what are you proposing uh, regarding immigration issues and, and those arriving here for different reasons? Well, we have to center on the, the uh, support of the Colombian community in other countries. In, in the case of the United States, that support has to be very central and has to be the, the axis of the discussion with the government of the United States. We have talked about TPS and we are not, you know, saying that it's going to be left out of the discussion, but we do not leave out. Well, there is a program called Programa Nos Une, and we are going to make sure that the Department of Foreign Affairs has a specific <coughs> policy to help those uh, Colombians, nationals, even if they ha don't have a status. Let's say, you know, we're not going to make demands for the, from the United States or any other um, government really in the world. So they, we are going to ask that they can, the Colombians can reinsert themselves in those societies in a dignified manner. Francia. Okay, she was asking a question, like, what can you do? Well, I didn't come here to tell lies, okay? We cannot do anything right now. There's nothing we can do because the government right now has turned their back on the Colombian people, uh, those who are in diaspora, those who have left. So perhaps you could have better conditions right now, but it's a political decision of this government to not uh, turn a blind eye and to actually look at the crisis, the humanitarian crisis of the people who are arriving to this country. So I could tell you, yeah, we could, you know, send a message, we could raise our voices, but right now that's not going to change the reality that you're living. The reality of change is to be able to win elections. Because sadly, I was a politician, but I realized that through writing letters and you know starting protests that wasn't enough it's not, i'm not saying it's not important but it wasn't enough it's necessary to have power to be part of the government and to give power for, to the people to be able to transform these unjust situations that we're living people wouldn't have to leave colombia fleeing to come here 
to suffer if they lived in better conditions, if we had peace, if there was security. But people leave because they can no longer live there, because their lives are at risk, because they cannot find opportunities, and they come here and they cannot find them either. So, to say that right now, like what can we do right now? I mean, I feel powerless because there's not much we can do. But what we can do is, you know, make a difference once we are in government. And once we are in government, like we said yesterday, we are going to ask first that the government of the United States, because we know that is done, you know, between governments. Uh, we place a request. If we request as the Colombian government to the Colombian to the government of the United States to at least begin with a TPS, a temporary protected status, which will guarantee um, a basic immigration status that will allow Colombians here to have access to work, to have access to conditions that will help them improve their situation. Another thing is how the Department of Foreign Affairs can guarantee those fundamental rights of all its citizens in other countries, not only here, but in the whole world. And that is part of what we'll have to work on with you. I know that, that there are proposals in terms of going back to the country in order to return facing internal displacement of people who want to go back to their territories. I mean, we have to have guarantees in place. And that's part of what we will start generating with this new government, the government of change. Thank you, Francia. I would like to have a second round of questions. Well, let's start right here with this gentleman in the front row. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to go back to that issue. We're talking about once we're in government, that's, you know, we're starting with from that premise, right? Please be very brief with your questions. Very specific question. Okay, my hugs to you. Yeah, I know that you're very good, Colombia. Financia, we're going to win. My question has to do. They're speaking at the same time. There could be surprises. We're talking about those nobodies. We have new nobodies. The, the, the Venezuelan brothers and sisters in Colombia who left because of a totalitarian regime and also because of the blockages or, uh, th that this country established in Venezuela, the sanctions. So if you won, what position would you take regarding the specific uh, blockages that are affecting uh, Venezuelans and Colombians, and what are you going to do with the imag imaginary president, Juan Guaido? Thank you. I have a couple of questions regarding Venezuela. Specifically, first, what guarantees do you have to reestablish re the relationship with Venezuela so Nicolás Maduro can stop his attempts to destabilize the Colombian economy. Number two, how can a government that has to be a, a, a world power of life, can, how can you justify having diplomatic and friendship, friendly relationship with a dis, 
dictatorship, a murdering dictatorship responsible for the deaths of thousands of people in Venezuela and in Colombia. They also have armed forces in Colombia. And what guarantees do you offer us, those uh, those of us who are under asylum and who are refugees? What? How can you guarantee that you will not send us back from Colombia to Venezuela so we will continue to be persecuted politically over there? Thank you. The gentleman here in the middle, please. Okay, let's start with the gentleman in the middle, please. And then the fourth question over here. My question to you is, here we are, those of us who have not decided who to vote for. So my question has to do with peace. The vice president's candidates have talked about peace and the responsibility of the government toward peace, but they haven't told us what responsibility they have. Those uh, those who signed the peace agreement, those members of the FARC who signed an agreement with the government. So we know that the government has not held their end of the deal, but the FARC members have not given back any of the assets uh, to the citizens in Colombia. So my question is that. Why are you talking about the government and why are you not talking about the FARC? And number two, number two, we don't want to know anything about Uribe or Patrana or Lopez or absolutely no one else. No former presidents. Do not talk about them in your speeches because we're not interested. We want to know what are you proposing and what serious propositions do you have? Thank you so much. The lady over here. My name is Armando Mosquera. We don't always focus on questions. My concern or my presentation to you has to do with that 23 years ago, we started an Afro-Colombian group here in, in, in Colombia, in, in the United States. Our says brothers, Viveros, Mauro, and Luis Gilberto Murillo, and this is a fruit. Francia came much later and she also became part of our ethnicity. And I am proud to listen to both of you today because you coincide in most of the ideas that you are presenting regarding the black race. So congratulations to you, Francia and Luis Gilberto. And we ex hope that that's diaspora that is here in the United States can be present and what the United States witnessed with Barack Obama in the White House. Thank you so much. One last question here. We're not going to. There's a lot of questions. Are we going to be able to answer? One last question. Let, this is the last question because we're not going to have time to answer, unfortunately. Good morning. My name is Sergio Alfonso Castellanos. I am part of a, a union. I am the Secretary of Human Rights of the electrical sector, it's a power sector of Colombian workers. It's a workers union. My question to you is that we over there uh, go to our work every day. We are very afraid. We have to hide because every time that we go to protect our workers, we were elected to do that. In my case, I'm the secretary to human rights. We cannot really participate a lot in, in, in activities because we are under threat. What strategy are you going to have 
for so we can be union representatives without fear of our lives. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. We have several questions. First, the one having to do with uh, Venezuelan immigrants and the uh, the government, the religion with the government, the interim government with Juan Guaido, another one having to do with the government in Caracas of Nicolas Maduro, the responsibility of the FARC as well, in abiding by this or holding their end of the, the, this, this 2016 peace agreement. And the last question regarding the protection of union leaders. Who would like to start? I think this, these would be your last words. Uh, unfortunately, we have to end. We don't, we don't have more time. Okay. First question, this is Francia. The first question having to do with Venezuelan immigrants in Colombia. I believe that we shouldn't only work on um, immigration policy in Colombia that affects Venezuelans, but also that affects uh, Haitians and Africans who are dying on Darien. We have witnessed Venezuelan people who have arrived and under what conditions they have arrived. Of course, we do value the fact that we have uh, lent hand to some uh, Venezuelans who have arrived to Colombia, but we see how our people are treated. In my own municipality, like I said yesterday, last year, armed actors murdered a Venezuelan youth. Apparently he had robbed, committed robbery, and what happened is they, they lit him on fire. That's a reality that we're facing. It's not a lie. So we are too xenophobic toward those who have migrated. And that is a very concerning situation. I think that the treatment is a treatment of human dignity and this immigration policy that has to respect the, these people's humanity. And we have to make the, the, the right efforts so they have the guarantees of basic rights as well as the rights that we are fighting for as Colombians. Yeah? That's what I can tell you. But it doesn't only happen to Venezuelans. The leader who only talks about Venezuelan immigration because, you know, there's an ideological interest. But why don't they address the Haitian immigration? Why don't they address African immigrants? Nobody addresses that. No, nobody addresses that in Colombia or anywhere else. And in Darien, we have seen people from Chocó and the communities there even picking up the bodies of the people who are dying because the prosecutor's office has not done anything to pick up the bodies. And it is the people, the community, picking up the bodies. So we have to create a, a, a complete policy that will um, include everybody. And we will demand that Colombians are also tended to with dignity. We need a comprehensive reform. 
what are we going to do so Colombians are not sent back to Venezuela? Well, if I was in government or if I were to govern Venezuela, perhaps, you know, I would give you a guarantee, but we're not going to govern Venezuela. We're going to govern Colombia. Okay? So, of course, we will continue to raise our voices. So, the human rights are respected and guaranteed. All those who are Colombians and Venezuela of any person in the world. But it's very difficult to give responsibility on the protection of the rights of, of the people as citizens of Venezuelans in their country. I mean, that is not really an action that we have as a government because we cannot meddle on the sovereignty and the autonomy of another country. We do hope that the relationships are improved. The relationship between Venezuela and Colombia are improved. And whether they like it or not, I mean, there are people on the borders that are suffering. Colombian and Venezuelan families. This is not a matter of an ideology. This is a matter of a fact that people have been affected. In Colombia, actually, there was a company, like I mentioned yesterday, uh, uh, a company that manufactured basic goods. They went to they declared bankruptcy because of the conflict between both countries. They were providing, that company was providing those basic goods to Colombia. And that was what was upholding the, the family shopping basket of the country. Now those basic goods are pricier. We lost. 2,000 jobs in Colombia that used to work for this company. And that's part of the, 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 the situation that we have to look at. Number two, we are going to respect the autonomy and the sovereignty of each country and every people. And what we're going to do to achieve peace in our country is to Reestablished relationship with Venezuela, with the nations that, that are whatever nation necessary, so peace can be real, so peace can be complete. Our country has suffered. We have huge countries, um, huge problems in our own country. People are dying of hunger, and we are not concerned. If we're, we're not concerned about solving those relationships i mean we uh, those problems we, we are concerned about problems of other countries not our own problems and our responsibility toward peace i believe i mean i'm i'm, t I'm talking as a victim and victims have said this before and we have seen it the agreement established and created jurisdictions it created the peace commission and truth commission and he created a jurisdiction a special jurisdiction for peace that jurisdiction is in charge of a truth uh, being exposed with the different actors of country we provide support to that special jurisdiction for peace we believe that the the work that they have been doing is important and they are the ones who have to hold responsible uh, to, uh, to help hold all, all those actors responsible 
all those who have created the armed conflict. I think it's time to stop war. This government destroyed peace, and we're feeling it. And one thing is to talk about peace from the United States, and another thing is to talk about peace from Colombia, and to talk about it from the different regions, from the Colombian Pacific, who was suffering that war. Our people want to live in peace. And this is uh, not an ideological discussion. It's a humanitarian discussion, because we're living armed conflict. We are living violence in El Chocó. In the last few years, in the last few months of this year, 65 youth have been murdered. In Buenaventura, this last month, two women were cut up. In Cauca, the, lead, the, the murder of uh, social leaders won't stop. In Cauca, we, we see how things have, have um, been shot through the roof. So we went peace. And ideologically, we can say that we do not agree with peace, but reality, uh, the reality is that we have a humanitarian situation that b begs for that transformation. We want to bet on our people living without fear and with peace and, and for guaranteeing other rights. Thank you, Francia. Thank you, Francia. Luis Gilberto I'm sorry to ask you. Yeah, I saw that you were trying to, to cut her off. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll be brief, I'll be brief. Starting with this issue of peace. Let me insist and let me, I mean, I, I, I repeated it a lot during, on, my, on my campaign. The transformation of Colombia starts with us abiding by those agreements because we have that historical tradition to not abide by those agreements. On the contrary, we um, commit murder. Those who are signatories of the agreements, that has to change because the fact that we abide by these agreements, it's better to have a bad peace than a good war. Believe me, people suffer every day we were mentioning the indicators so that is the starting point so Colombia can reach complete peace because that sends a message to those who are continuing this conflict and we have to fulfill these agreements not only that but but the Colombian people have lost trust because we do not fulfill those commitments that we have with the communities. And if you go through the country, I mean, there are agreements that we have not been able to um, fulfill for 30 years, you know, and the state, the government has to meet its end. So there are mechanisms, follow-up mechanisms of writing of reports, and we cannot fall into m manipulation. There's a lot of misinformation on these peace agreements. Too much misinformation. And we are talking then about political will. And uh, secondly, I would like to go back to the issue of other regions, something that is important when we talk about digitalization. We have been proposing uh, a national digital university that allows access to about 100,000 people. I think we all coincide that it's very important that we have to establish a very good educational infrastructure and to give access to information there. So it's unacceptable that we have 300,000 youth that do not have access to education and or work or employment. 
So what we were discussing, the TLC. The TLC is not that we support it or not. What we propose is that it has, it should have uh, uh, conditions in there, that the work condition, labor conditions. So uh, we're not talking about trade. We've never been members of these economic groups or anything. We are interested in the agenda that has to do with the other Colombia, the deep Colombia, where there are Afro-descendant um, indigenous communities, uh, highland communities, and we have different uh, political perspectives. When Francia was talking about polarization, no, this is a political perspective and this is a country proposal. Well, you could have uh, common proposals, but that's part of the political game. We cannot depersonalize it like it usually happens. Now regarding Venezuela. Okay, when I was talking to the United States regarding the respect of the people, like the Colombian people and Latin American people, is because we do not want the country to be pressured to make a decision regarding a third nation in Latin America. In the case of Venezuela, we have to respect the sovereignty of Venezuelans. And in the case of Venezuela, there's a central criteria, central axis, the people who are suffering inside and outside of Venezuela. We have 3 million Colombians, approximately, who live over there and who have 15 consulates that are closed. They cannot even do any, tar any kind of uh, transaction and, and kind of paperwork. They, but, but they have direct dialogue with the government, the, the Venezuelan government, on uh, daily issues. Let me give you an example. I had dialogue with the uh, environment minister of Venezuela when there were oil spills in Catcatcumbo. Because why? Because he, they had to, to, to take measures because there was a, a compensation scheme, and that doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship. There are, there are issues that affect the people. What are we proposing? Number one, to restore and to reestablish direct dialogue with Venezuela. We cannot pretend that those those 12 million people who are on the border, the three, 3 million who are over there, suffer in such a way. Number two, we have to re-establish dialogue and to open the consulates in Venezuela. In the worst time of the Cold War, the United States had a, a commercial office in Cuba. We need to re-establish those consulate offices. And lastly, we have to re-establish the relationship with uh, Venezuela within their sov sovereign framework. People are saying, you know, I, I was in the coffee uh, area because they were being affected because their production was going to Venezuela and they're like well how come we don't have a relationship with Venezuela and it is affecting us and it's taking away opportunities so that is the case of Venezuela as such and there are people on the border who are being affected now the immigrants Steve I'm gonna finish soon I'm gonna answer but in the case of immigrants Colombia is a, 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 a bridge country and Colombia needs a, a policies of immigration that involves the immigrants from Venezuela, but also Haitians and Cubans. We have also immigrants from West Africa, and Colombia has to establish an immigration policy, not only for Venezuelans, but for immigrants who, who have a way to establish um, a way of living. I was an immigrant, and I know that it is extremely important for them to have a livelihood. What are we doing with the cooperation of the United States? 
and also international relations. We have not seen solidarity with Colombia to answer to that immigration problem. Here, oh, we saw what's happening with U Ukraine, and we support Ukraine, but they and they took out the checkbook right away. But in the case of Colombia and Latin America, and you know this corridor who, of countries who have been impacted, we have not seen the United States take out the checkbook or to provide that support, the technical support, because we're not a priority, and that has to change because we're in their backyard. Thank you. I am so sad to have to end this dialogue and this town hall with the audience here in Washington and to end, you know, your visit to the city. We would like to highlight again the importance of this dialogue, of being able to exchange ideas beyond our differences and positions. This shows the, the wealth of democracy, of the Colombian democracy. And I think that we all agree that we have to continue to bet on that enrichment of that democratic exercise. You, the two of you are an example of of, of what debates can uh, bring as a result. And no matter who wins, these two will continue to be very key actors in the de debate and, and the conception of the establishment of, of a nation, of Colombia as a nation. We are very very glad again to have had you here as an institute of peace to have been able to, to host you and to provide a space to have dialogue and thank you to all of you who helped us from my colleague medium psychist keith mines all the interpreters all the ones in charge of security and the audiovisual uh, um, unit thank you have a wonderful day and we will continue with a very intimate space for the media who want to stay and uh, approach the candidates. A big up round of applause for Francia and Gilberto. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.